Hey everyone, welcome back to another amazing episode of What's the Lesson, the podcast that dives into all of life's personal growth and development moments. I'm your host, Jill, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Mary. That's me. And today, you're in for an incredibly special conversation. We have Len Arcuri, the inspiring founder of Autism Parenting Secrets, joining us. Len is a real-life superhero dad who didn't just accept the cards that he and his family were dealt. He decided to reshuffle the whole deck. After his son was diagnosed with autism, he saw a major gap in resources for parents who were on the same journey as he was. So what did he do? He took the leap of faith and went all in to be the guide he wished he'd had. Ever catch yourself judging your own parenting style or maybe even comparing your kids to others? Well, in this episode, we're going to chat about that as well as the role your ego plays along the way. Len will shed light on how, if we're not careful, we can at times be more of the problem than the solution we're so desperately seeking. We're also going to chat about the value of true connection and, of course, the biggest word with just four little letters, love. Len is a goldmine of wisdom, and he and his amazing wife, Cass, have made it their mission in life to help you discover all the things you wish you knew at the beginning of this journey. So get cozy, grab your favorite beverage, and let's get into it. Welcome to What's the Lesson, the podcast that takes you on a deep dive into the world of character development. We're Jill and Mary, the dynamic duo behind Girls Mentorship. We foster self-confidence, self-esteem, and self-awareness for tween and teen girls, along with their invaluable network of supporters through events, resources, and mentorship. Picture us as your coaches, walking alongside you through the world of social-emotional learning, and think of this podcast as your own personal roadmap. We'll support you in discovering obstacles that might be holding you back and gain clarity on why this work is a game changer, not only for your growth, but for the next generation of leaders as well. Alongside our fantastic guests, we're here to share knowledge about how you can change old patterns of behavior and make sense of those WTF moments, shifting them into lessons that can drastically improve your life instead. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a superhero stay-at-home mom, or someone fueled by boundless curiosity, our mission is crystal clear. To supercharge your emotional intelligence and sprinkle the magic of SEL into every corner of your life. Hi, welcome to the podcast. We're actually really excited to have this conversation with you because we haven't had a similar conversation on the podcast before. We're going to be really touching on all things autism because it is very personal to you and your story. So before we get into it, I want to say that there are thousands of of hardships and things that we go through in our life, and we don't necessarily stop and start like a full-fledged business mission vision from it. So I want to know what's different about you and your wife, Cass, in terms of what triggered the diagnosis um, and why you decided that this was going to be your forever work, not just for you and your family, but for other families going through the same thing that you and your wife were. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I, I, first of all, I'm glad to be here. And again, I, I love being in community with other people who are trying to 
pay it forward to help other parents to help them become even more empowered. And uh, yeah, with from my perspective, and I'll talk more about my journey rather than trying to get in my wife's head. Uh, but yes, we're partnering <laughs> with this same you know, tr- with the same mission. Uh, but for me, the journey with my son and everything that happened with my son, and yes, he happened. His journey was included him having a label of autism, uh, moderate, borderline, severe autism. Uh, but otherwise, I really you know, know that the diagnosis and the term, the label really doesn't mean much. Uh, you know, it's a data point. Uh, but what's so much more powerful is how the parent's showing up. So mm-hmm. in order, like an answer to your question, based on what I learned and my son taught me so much and the journey as as hard as it was in so many cases that I can give you all those details, it ultimately truly is a gift. And I don't say that just because that sounds good. It was, it's all meant to, it all happened for a reason. Yes, my son was suffering in some cases physically, and I would never wish that on him, but the entirety of the journey ultimately has only brought us closer together, helped educate everyone involved, especially me. I learned so much and it's because of that learning. And, and, and once I got to a certain point, my son improved, I was kind of saying, thank God I can put this autism thing behind me because mm-hmm. there's fiefdoms. There's a lot of pain. It's, it's not, it's, it's a community where there's a lot of emotions, many of which I didn't feel really want to be part of. And I was really excited to put it in the rear view mirror, but you know, it, it took investing in myself. Can't tell you the number of programs I've taken self-help, you know, professional development that helped me to see that this all happened for a reason. And now I'm in a position where I can help parents who are a few steps behind me. And that's why now this shift isn't just, hey, something cool to do. I'm never going to stop doing this work. I'll just find more and more ways, different ways of helping parents of a child on the spectrum and other parents as well. It's just I'm focusing on that population because my wife and I, especially, we know uniquely some of the challenges and what comes up there. And that's why we're serving that audience. And just like the work that you're doing with wanting to ultimately help um, girls, tweens or teenage girls, and you both, I think uh, you shared with me, you've discovered, well, the real key way of doing that is through the parent. It's similar where I just see that nobody gives you a freaking playbook that's useful. We, We all get handed really lousy playbooks that do not work for this generation of kids, whether they have a diagnosis or not. And so uh, just a big part of what I'm all about is helping parents to throw away the playbook that they were handed or that's in their head. And there's so many different ways we can parent and show up for our kids in a really useful way, but it's pretty much the opposite of what everyone's expecting you to do. Yeah, I really admire you being really vulnerable and going first and saying, hey, I was part of the problem and now I get to be a part of the solution. And I think that's where parents are probably needing support in saying, okay, there is there. What I probably had envisioned with my family isn't really the reality. And 
Um, I, I just want to draw a parallel from your experience before we really get into how do, how do parents say, you know what, I'm the problem. I'm in my family's way, my child's way. And how do I then become the solution? But before you answer that, I'm just curious, what, what examples do you have of that? How were you noticing, you know what, it's me before you started doing the work what was getting in the way of you um, having this harmony in your home? Because now you say it's a gift, but before it was a gift, there was probably some stuff. What what was the stuff? Um, just curious from your from your perspective. Yeah, uh, no, it's a great question, Jill. I mean, I think from my personal perspective, what and yes, it is a gift now. It felt nothing like a gift early on. Right. It was the opposite of a gift. Um, so the biggest thing is judgment. Mm. And it was judgment. And it's, it was also that, I mean, everything was wrong when I look back on it. The role that I was taking on as a parent was, was off. My objective of what I wanted, what I thought I wanted, wasn't what I really wanted. So when you ask, okay, well, what you know, what resulted in me having this awakening because zero parents ever say, oh, I got this diagnosis. I need to work on myself. Like no parents ever raised their hand and said that because we all feel like, okay, we're, you know, we feel like we're at least somewhat equipped. And while we might internally, at least I internally recognize, okay, well, I have some issues, but, you know, I can do this and I'm going to just move forward. Um, I wasn't thinking, okay, now I need to get to a better place. I need to, if I'm ever going to work on my own shit, this is the time, right? So that I don't let my own issues get in the way of what's going to help my son, my wife, my family. Uh, so I think early on, there was a mindset issue where as much as I didn't want to say that I was in victim mode, fixed mm -hmm. mindset, I was. Yeah. Um, there was that. There were a lot of really crappy stories I was telling myself about my son, judging him as less, judging him as broken. And then at, at the same time, and none of this was really conscious, but this is what was going on. And then I was even more harsh with my judgments of myself. And I'm a lousy parent. Is this something that I did? When I talk, I've talked to now hundreds of parents, it's crazy to number that all feel the same, a lot of the similar emotions of shame, guilt, feeling like we're responsible. I was raised Catholic. There's definitely a-, a You're shrouded in guilt then. Yeah. There, there was a theme of Catholics feeling this much more. My wife does not have these feelings at all. Um, but so I, I think I went in, the mindset wasn't there. The stories I was telling myself weren't there. And, and a big part of those stories were judgments of my son as something that was not okay. And, and I would say, and I, like I said, we've invested in so many programs, one of them, during a one-on-one -on -one session of sharing, you know, where I was, I, I made the statement that, you know, to the person I was with, like, you know, I really love my son, but I hate the autism. And, um, and, and, you know, that person helped me see what an asinine statement that was. Right. Because at that moment, that was part of who my son was. He happened to qualify to get that label. So, so the most important thing for me was shifting what I was going for. And, and, and the biggest mistake I made, which is why I try to help parents see this early if they're making the same mistake, 
is I was so motivated to say, okay, my son's got this diagnosis, moderate to severe autism, totally in his own world. Every behavior you imagine when you think autism he had, I said, okay, I'm going to fix that. I am going to fix him and no one's going to stop me. I'm not resting until he no longer has autism. That was my goal. And I look back and I realize how off that goal was because if I would have stuck with it, I would have been putting even more distance between him and I. And what I realized is the most important thing, what I truly wanted, what made autism so hard was that, and he was in his own world and wanted nothing to do with me. There was, there was no connection. And that was the light bulb moment. I'm like, you know, what I really, why this feels so hard is that he's, I'm totally disconnected from him. And that's what I want to build. And when that goal changed from fixing him to developing a bond and connecting with him, everything changed. And, and when I compared the two, I'm like, well, that's a much better goal than trying to fix my well, boy. It's like black and white, right? You look at it and it's like, wow, um, how could I have said that from a perspective now? You look back and you're like, that what you just said, it's asinine. And I think that's such a red thread through a, a couple of things that I want to break down. Ego. Ego is really hard as a parent because your kids' actions, whether they are intended or unintended, um, reflect on us as parents and make us feel like we're wrong, right? So you said the word judgment. Um, so from the outside looking in, it can feel like people are judging you as an individual, for what's going on with your kids. And that can be really hard. That's when we want to step in and when we want to, quote unquote, fix the situation, the problem. Um, in this conversation, it's it happens to be the child, which we get a lot of as well. And it, it's comments like that from parents that we have to pump the brakes on and say, your child's not broken, there's nothing wrong with your child. There is something wrong in the way you are are, are approaching this situation. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to hear from your perspective that regardless of the diagnosis, regardless of the hand that you were dealt in life, it doesn't matter. That ego is going to come up. The fear of judgment is going to come up. And feeling like you as a parent need to mend things that are quote unquote broken comes up as a parent when really that's the playbook you're talking about. That's the playbook you're saying, you know what, this, this is an archaic way of thinking. We need to toss it out because the real magic happens when we can actually genuinely connect with our children. And that means something different for every parent based on their circumstances. But the overarching theme there is the connection. And when we can bridge a, that gap between where we are and where our kids are, that's where we get to actually have a real fledged relationship with them. And that's where we get to see their strengths and help them through their weaknesses. And I think it's cool that you had that moment in time where you can look back on and say, when I changed the dialogue, when I changed where my compass was focusing, that's when things changed for my family. Um, and that's hard, right? That That's looking at yourself in a mirror and picking yourself apart. And that's why people don't do personal growth and development because it's confronting. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to look at yourself as somebody who is wrong or like you've been doing things backwards your entire life because that's not true either. But as human beings, we have 
we do a stellar job of making meaning out of things, um, especially stories from our past that prevent us from moving forward. So it's a breath of fresh air to hear that you were you and your family were handed um, a hard hand to figure out and to play with. However, you have figured out now how to run the table, which is cool. Well, and I want to quickly ask, Len, do you have another child that, like, right, you have two um, boys. Your, you have your son. Well, I have my son and my daughter. Okay. My daughter came, uh, yeah, very soon after my son's diagnosis. They're about a year and a half apart. Right. So, so, so yes, so you're, two different. You're parenting very differently with both of those children, where um, I, I'm sure that also had to... Um, there was a lot to probably navigate there as well, is making sure that your focus and attention doesn't all just go to your son, but how how do you equally give the time and space and connection to your daughter? And you can't. You, like right. The short answer is you can't. Um, especially in our case, there was so much that was needed from him that she did get shortchanged. Now, we did everything we could to for that not to be the case. And I like to look back saying, hey, I think we did a pretty good job. But I think even now, and my daughter's a teenager now, and I feel like to some degree, now it's starting to surface that, you know, where she didn't really get the attention that she probably would have preferred, although I, I thought she seemed okay with it. So it's interesting, it seems to be coming up now. And again, as a parent, you know, you do the best you can but particularly with autism, and again, I can only speak about my own son and how he exhibited, and I recognize that many parents have much more challenging situations. Um, just generally, though, generalizing, um, the peculiar nature of autism, particularly moderate severe autism, means that your time and attention is going to be focused on that child. And so the other child you hope is understanding and you do the best you can, but I think it's impossible to really be equal because one just is demanding so much more of that time and attention. And I'm sure I could have navigated it better. I did the best I can. My wife did the best that, that she could. Um, but um, but that's a big challenging thing, Joel. It's, it's just, you know, you, you, I hear it over and over with so many other families where, you know, the other kids are going to get shortchanged. And um, hopefully they're okay with that. And hopefully the parent can explain and, you know, help them understand. Um, but otherwise, it's it, that's a big, big challenge as well. When was your son officially diagnosed? He was diagnosed uh, 18 months. So um, is when we got the diagnosis. And uh, we had, see, like up until age one, he was, everything would seem totally fine, no issues. Right after age one, that a lot of things started going off a cliff and his physical health was a big issue. So basically, uh, you know, that and, and coupled, he also had um, uh, life, we, we discovered, surprise, surprise, that he had a life-threatening allergy to peanuts after he ingested some peanut butter. So so basically a, a, it was a you know kind of cascade of events, including the anaphylactic reaction that effectively wiped out his immune system. And so from a physical perspective, he wasn't the same kid. You know, he used to be at all the wellness fits. It's like 90th percentile, height and weight, healthy, robust kid. And then over the course of months after that one year checkup, um, he just 
basically became failure to thrive where he dropped to like, I think fourth percentile in, in weight and this um, just was physically not right. So we had an urgency yeah, from a physical health, um, um, like his life literally was at stake. And, and then within all that, yes, these signs and exhibiting signs of, uh, of autism, the, the having words and then losing them, regression, uh, no eye contact in his own world, all those things, and, and a lot of self-stimulatory behavior. So, um, so that's what we were looking at. And, um, and yeah, because we got aligned, started seeing things more clearly, started to find what's going to meet his needs. Uh, we slowly but surely started putting pieces into place that helped him, you know, really kind of uh, emerge out of that um, uh, that situation, moderate severe autism, failure to thrive. Where you know, fast forward to today, he's gonna, you know, he's he's just he's seventeen, pretty much now, uh, about to turn seventeen. He's a happy, healthy kid. He's quirky, but he's you know, he goes to school. He has no aid or anything. He's he's independent. Um, and he's just so joyful and, and, and just lights up anyone who meets him. And he, and for the boy who didn't talk at all and lost all his words, I mean, he's a nonstop talker, uh, you know, so he, he's gone from one extreme to the other. And so we're so grateful for the progress that he has made. And I just, the light, way I like to characterize it is my wife and I started getting better and better at getting out of his way to the extent that we were in his way. And I, I'll raise my hand. I definitely know I was in his way. And, and we just got to a point where we started making better decisions that got to the root of what was going on with him. Because the, otherwise the whole system of autism in terms of you get a diagnosis, then you get this therapy and this service and all that, all that as well intentioned as it might be, is all symptom driven. A diagnosis based on symptoms, and then you do these therapies, or maybe you do some medications to address these symptoms. There's nothing that gets you out of the hole. So the key is actually not following that system and actually getting pretty curious to figure out what for your unique child is at the root of what they're exhibiting that they call autism and having your energies go there. And it doesn't mean spending incredible amounts of money, although we did that. It just means really meeting your child where they are. And uh, instead of an expensive stem cell type treatment, maybe your intervention is just literal presence with your child and being with them, playing with them, going with them. Um, who's to say which one of those two interventions is more powerful? Right. Uh, and it's interesting because one of those things, <clears throat> i.e. time and attention, could present itself as more expensive to certain families, especially now in 2023, because our attention is, it's everywhere. In a million places. Right. It, yeah. We're hustle culture to the max at this point. So it's, I, I love that you say that because oftentimes people think that, yes, a diagnosis like that is going to cost them thousands and thousands of dollars, which you said it did you and your family from experimenting with different providers and doctors and, and therapies and drugs and all of this stuff. But what you have found to be the most effective happened to be your time and attention and experimentation in terms of therapies in that way and therapeutic releases in that way. So I just, yeah, I, I really want listeners to hear that. Um, a diagnosis isn't fatal, mm -hmm. nor does it have to mean anything terrible for your family. I want you to hear the the gift in it. Yeah. Well, and I um, 
I really appreciate you sharing your story because my husband's best friend has a child who is autistic and is in, I mean, he's young though, he's four, um, and he's in a school Monday through Friday from eight to five. And that's a lot of time with somebody else. And um, he's a single dad. Um, and and I know that that's a lot. He's a lot when he's around his child by himself. So having him be with people who know how to support and and treat what's going on, he appreciates that. But I also know that that's a lot a lot of time away from dad. Um, so it's just a good reminder of, yes, where do you need professional support? And where can you um, still infuse your presence and love um, knowing that it is challenging and it's going to be challenging. But once you find a groove, it will get better. It will. And and you're a true testament to that. So I just wanted to say thanks for sharing because um, my biggest concern with my my husband's friend is just the separation. I'm like, oh, I know you have the support. And how are you connecting with your kiddo? Yeah, it depends on who, you know, like you said, it depends on, you know, spending that much time away from dad may not be a problem depending on who is you know, who he's with yeah. and, yeah. and 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 you mentioned, Jill, the word love, right? I mean, ultimately, let's all fast forward to the answer. You know, love is the answer. Showing these kids acceptance and, you know, sincere, um, you know, love with that's unconditional and, and really accepting your child as they are. I know it sounds nice that I'm saying it. it, it I know it's not necessarily easy and some parents won't want to hear that because they may think that accepting my child, fully accepting them means being okay with them as they are. And, and so that's where it's, it's kind of, a, it seems like a contradiction. It's not, but no, no, no. Go for a 100% acceptance of your child exactly as they are now with no expectation that they'll ever get better. Just right. accept them as they are now, not some future version of them. And from that place of acceptance, you then have the ability to direct your time, energy, and money on what's going to help them the most. And, and, and so leading with love, like sincerely loving your child is never a bad move. And, and it's actually that it, it is the key. Um, but a lot of this comes down to, you know, what is at the root of what's going on with your child? So as an example, tying it back to what we talked about before, if part of the reason why my son wasn't connecting with me, wasn't trying to talk to me or trying to want to include me in what he was doing, okay, well, what's the root cause behind that? It wasn't something related to, you know, diet or stem cells or anything like that. I mean, those things can have a contributing factor, but ultimately when I get really curious on what's the root, okay, maybe he just doesn't feel I'm safe. Hmm. And guess what? He doesn't feel I'm safe because I'm looking at him, even if I'm smiling, he can read through all my energy and he can feel that judgment. Yeah, he can feel that I might be saying, hey, come on over here and let's let's read together. But on the other hand, I'm putting up a big halt because yeah. he's not enough. You're not OK as you are now. So yeah. I'm giving him mixed signals. So that's where if, if if the child doesn't feel safe, it's so hard for them to even want to engage and to progress 
you know, whether it's speech or any other thing that you're, you're wanting for. So that's the other thing is if you get really clear on where is it that I, as the parent might be creating lack of safety, um, that's a powerful area to focus on and yeah. going back to your friend, okay, the school, the teachers, the other kids, you know, is that an environment that net nets a positive uplifting experience for the child? Or is he doing everything he can to keep it together and comes back and maybe the behaviors are worse because that was an environment that ultimately was a fit for him. Right. So that's, so that's kind of the way of thinking about this is like, what are you really going for? What's really at the root? And, uh, and yes, I, big part of our coaching is for parents do a few things really well, not 20 things. If you throw the book at your child and do 20 things half-assed, you go broke. The child doesn't really make progress. You're probably doing things that are contradicting each other. And that's just not a recipe for success. Yeah, you're going to feel like a failure and your kid is going to feel like a failure. And I want to point out that's just another beautiful reason to do personal growth and development work because subconsciously what you might be putting out there on the surface is probably going to be very different than what you're putting out there subconsciously. And you might not even know that you're in your own way because you actually have never done the work to figure out the programming that's running behind the scenes. Why isn't he coming over here? Well, because that is what you're putting out there. Mary, that's 100% right. And yeah. it's actually even more extreme than that. As a parent, the parents convince they're not in the way. They think that they're doing great. So they don't, <laughs> like you don't even realize it. And it's great that you're, you feel good about yourself. You know, we all feel like, you know, have, have some degree of confidence. It's human but nature. But, but you cannot, you can't see, you know, we all have blind spots and it's really hard to see where even though you're not aware of it, I know I was making it about me all the time. Like if my son was in a, like in the playroom and I was trying to do certain things, had certain strategies, try to get more engagement. If he didn't do what I wanted, I would come back and report to the person who was helping me. Like, yeah, my son rejected me. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why are you using the term rejected? And, and, and the reason I was saying that is because I was making it about me. Yeah. And, right. and guess what? It, it, I, I learned how it's not about me. It's about my son and I can be persistent and do what I feel is right and not make every thing he did a referendum on whether he liked me or not. Right. Like, so, so I realize now how petty and how ego driven I was like in your words, Mary, um, if I was, I didn't think it at the time, but I was driven by my own ego. And so that's where a parent, if they can, see that and put that aside and just say, what's going to help my child? Forget about me for a second. Again, so much opens up. That probably even for you goes back to like being in, on the schoolyard of maybe feeling left out of a four square game or something. And that, I mean, I can't hit this point home enough. That's why it's so important to get to know yourself because you getting to know how you respond and you react helps your child ultimately win in the end. Because if you would have stayed on the path of, it, this is all about me, my son doesn't like me, he's rejecting me, he won't do the things I say, you probably wouldn't be in the position that you're in right now doting on your sweet 17-year-old outgoing talkative son, right? So I, yes, we love short-term gratification, but I think part of the problem in terms of loving short-term gratification so much is we miss out on the long-term benefits. If we don't put fail-safes in place for us to check ourselves mm -hmm. and, and realize that we are in, in our own way, which 
means we're in our family's way, then we're missing out on some long-term benefits. And that that's frustrating because that's when, you know, somebody like me, 35, somebody like Jill, 37, we're now just really dealing with the things that happened when we were living under our parents' roof, you know, the fights, the things they said, the the ways they they brought us up. And that's not a knock on our parents. Effectively, they were doing the best they could with what they had, Absolutely. but it leaves us feeling empty and like, well, why why did I get this plate full of BS, right? Why did I get this hand? And now it's it's our responsibility to turn it around for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But we always feel like things like that can be avoided when we look in the mirror and when we decide that we want to work on ourselves as parents. So speaking of that, your son is 17 now. When did you and Cass decide that this was it, that this was what you wanted to pursue, that you wanted to help more parents and more families um, succeed in this mission? For me, um, in my mind, that shift took place about a year after my son's diagnosis. And then it took me nine years to actually leave my corporate job, you know, so, so I think I'm in my head, I shifted because I was learning so much. I'm like, why does, why does nobody teach this to parents? Yeah. Well, that was going to be my question. Did you see that there was a gap in resources for you guys? Totally. I was like, WTF, how could I now know (laughs) these things? Yeah. And nobody teaches me that. So I I was like the most compliant, like, you know, when we got pregnant, it's like, okay, well, I raised my hand and I researched the vaccine issue, right? Like, okay, because my wife had been to a benefit and all that. And, but at the time I was just like, listen, I, I just blindly, you know, accepted all the authorities, whether it's the CDC, whether it was like I was in financial services, the Fed, the FDIC and all these like regulatory bodies. I had really strong faith in all of them. And I guess what I've learned in this journey, um, you know, particularly since at that time, that's when 2008 hit and all the financial safeguards, you know, it do, didn't do anything. And so like my, my blind trust in, in these kind of authority figures and authorities, um, that came crashing down in, in so many different ways for me. And so, um, and so that's where I was like, listen, there's so much that a parent does need to know to make an actual informed decision. And that's where in my mind, I'm like, listen, I want to help other parents do this faster. And I, so I, I learned that and, and what's ironic is what I did for a living, I, w- I worked for a bunch of behemoth banks. I was a CPA initially, then a CFO within like huge banks, all the ones you know. And um, one of my roles at my last job was I started morphing into process improvement work. So visualize these CFOs and their teams advising, you know, in terms of the traders. And, but their processes were horrible. So because I was one of them, I was able to start learning how to do improvement work. I wound up getting certified as a Six Sigma Master Black Belt, which just basically means someone who's really good at re-engineering processes. And it's all about identifying what are the defects? How do we not have defects with broken processes and the like? So I got really good at that. So it's ironic then that I have a son who immediately I'm looking at like, well, he's freaking defective. Yeah. And now I have to fix him. Right. And so, so that's where that my mindset was definitely informed by what I did for a living. Um, but, but in answer to your question, I knew that I had skills that then I would be able to, instead of applying them towards helping a bank make more money and have a better bottom line, that I could take those kind of, how do you improve how something operates and to point them directly at parents. 
And then that started with me getting more informed in a number of areas, getting my and doing my own professional development work. I got into biohacking for a while, got certified in terms of, you know, really just helping anyone with their biology and their psychology. What can you do to improve? And I was going to do that coaching. And I was resisting actually coaching parents because I was like, listen, that's in my rearview mirror. I'm going to move forward. But when I really checked in and did my own deep work, I mean, this is who I'm called to serve. And so that's why I'm, I'm honored to be able to do this. I'm you know, trying to find more and more ways to be able to help other parents. Um, but you know, in my mind, this is my purpose. I can't speak for my wife. My wife's on board. She and I have slightly different ways that we help parents. So then that's fine because we're, we're different. But I can only speak for myself that I'm just going to keep doing this and do it better and better. And it's, there's no like next pivot to something totally different. So, um, so I feel very aligned and centered that this is work that I'm called to do. That's incredible. It's very cool to see those transferable skills Mm -hmm. come into the work that you're doing because I mean, Mary and I, every single day we're like, whoa, um, that job that I did when I was 14 I'm doing it in a roundabout way, but the skills that I learned there are what we're doing now in our business. It's so funny um, if you're willing to have the awareness to to know that that's where you garnered those those skills. Um, and if parents are interested, if they're like, oh my gosh, I am loving what he's saying, what work do you do with families? Because I do know your wife really um, she supports you in this work more in like the nutrition aspect, right? So yeah, um, we, 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 we partner in this and we bring it all together with our podcast, which is called Autism Parenting Secrets, which is a great title because parents were for parents. Autism's usually the diagnosis they're dealing with. But the ironic thing is everything, all of our episodes, none of them are related to autism specifically. Because it's the insight, it's it's the how a parent's navigating as opposed to, hey, you should do this and that. And the, the what to do for your child, whether it's a certain therapy or whether it's a diet intervention, we trust the parent's going to know what's right. So our goal is not to advise them and talk down and tell them what to do to anoint them with the answers. We're trying to help them tap their inner knowing and giving them the space to do what's right for their child. So yes, my wife definitely has deep expertise in terms of the importance of food, the options, and how to help a parent figure out what's going to make sense. Because we doesn't it's not rocket science to know that food matters no matter who the person is, but particularly for kids on the spectrum, that's incredibly important. And then on top of that, homeopathy is actually one of the things that actually literally saved my son's life. And she has deep expertise in that. And those are super important. I'm much more about the mindset beliefs in that how. So the way um, our coaching works is that I help a parent get to a better place early on. So they'll be ready for some of the guidance that my wife can share. Uh, In our podcast, Autism Parenting Secrets, we hit all these topics. And again, it's coming from the standpoint of giving parents something, these different perspectives and these how to's but not like, and buy this product and do this and do that. Now, yes, we talk about different things that are out there, but, you know, we've invested in producing something that doesn't have sponsors. There's no, you know, like we, it's an outflow for us to be able to produce this 
as what we believe is an incredibly meaningful free resource for parents. And then for those who want help in implementing, which we all know that's where a lot of times things fall fall down. Uh, yes, we have one-on-one coaching that we provide and we have um, uh, a membership community that we're going to be supercharging come January. So there's a few different ways that we are trying to help empower parents. Uh, but yeah, it all comes down to they're the key and very few parents see that early on. They think it's about the child, but we know the parent is not just like a decision maker. The whole trajectory for that child is going to be driven off the parent and the energy they're exuding. So why not get to that stronger, better, more present, safer place as fast as you can? That's that's really the opportunity that we're trying to help parents see. Okay, so you teed us up great. Obviously, you um, mentioned your podcast, so people for a free resource can absolutely go check your podcast out on any podcast hosting platform. You have a plethora of incredible episodes. You bring in guest speakers. um, And as you mentioned, it's not solely based on autism because a lot of what you're saying, and we've made mention of this, really can, it's parenting. It's parenting your child regardless of the scenario. These are all really great tidbits, tools, skills that you should work on garnering if you want to stand a chance at having a successful parenting journey, if you will. Um, And then where else can people find you? So if someone is listening in and they're like, holy moly, This is what my family is dealing with right now. I'm feeling so much shame. I'm feeling so much judgment. This conversation has been very freeing. I want to get to know this guy and his wife and see how they can help me. Where are they going? Yeah, they can go to autismparentingsecrets.com or allinparent.com. They go to the same place, but our coaching is all in parent. And it used to be, by the way, warrior parent coaching because warrior does describe the energy. These are people who are willing to do work, but it's not about being at war with anything. You know, you're not at war against autism. You're not at war against your child. So all in parent really more accurately describes the people who listen and the people we coach. And by the way, these are not lowly parents who are clueless and helpless. These are super strong, phenomenal parents who just know they're stuck in certain ways. There's, there's, there's things that they can't see. And that's what, you know, at least, you know, I know I'd specialize in being able to size up any parent quickly to help them see specifically what their blind spots are and where where they're unintentionally creating friction. And it's just amazing seeing what happens when that gets lifted. So that's where they could go. And, and again, I know that there's so many parallels with the work that you both do. But, but I guess one thing I just want to share quickly, which highlights this idea of parent with the best of intent It's not about you. It's about your child. Something as innocent as you saying to your child, like something happens at school and you're like, hey, I'm so proud of you. Right. Like we all say that to our kids and it sounds great. But what I've learned is that, boy, when I say that, I'm, I'm really making it about me. Like as if I'm saying to them, hey, way to go. You have my approval now. You know, whereas now what I do with my kids And of course, I've learned this from mentors. I didn't make this up. But what I've learned is if they have a success, like my daughter with her play, she got a had a phenomenal performance. At the end, I'm not saying I'm so proud of you, honey. Instead, I'm saying, look at what you did. You can take such great pride in yourself. 
look at all the hard work and look at look at what you've done. So that's where I think that one example really shows how as a parent, you could still be a great guide and you can take pride in your child. There's nothing wrong with that. But what you're expressing to your child, you know, what like what am I going for in that moment? Is that am I going for my own gratification or am I trying to instill in her a sense of, hey, I worked hard and I got this reward. My dad's recognizing that. It's not like she did it for my approval. So that's just an example of unintentionally we do things and make it about ourselves. And I'm I'm learning more and more every day to stop doing or do that less and to do more really boosting my kids up. They're teenagers now. I want them to have a strong internal compass. Yeah. Be able to operate independently. It's not about them pleasing me. Well, and we only have them for so long. Yeah. We want them to know that in their adulthood when they're where they're going to be spending the majority of their life. And I love that you pointed out like these aren't lowly parents that are coming to ask for help. It takes courage um to to notice that you have blind spots and to reach mm-hmm. out to someone else. 100%. So not not lowly parents at all, just parents that know that they need community. You said that when we first started. Doing things in community is such, in our opinion, a better way to do things because you're not at it alone. Um, If I pick up 50 pounds, it's going to be heavy. But if I ask Jill to help me pick up 50 pounds, it's going to be half the weight. And that's what where we really like to paint that picture. Yeah. No, Mary, I think that's beautifully said. And, And another way of saying it is, you know, asking for help, asking for support isn't giving up. It's actually refusing to give up. And when you go it alone in isolation, that just won't work long term. Because again, you can't see your own blind spots. And so allowing support, allowing community, the last thing I want to do was be in community with other parents because I thought that would just drag me down. Mm -hmm. And now I'm about to supercharge a community because I see the power of it and wish I would have tapped it earlier. So uh, so again, I... um, uh, I appreciate so much what you are both doing. There's so many people out there who can benefit from the support that you're offering to help them shift their perspective. And ultimately, we're aligned in that we're all, all three of us are trying to help parents truly be the best parents they can be, not to just be seen as a great parent, but to actually do the work to be the best parent. And, uh, and again, that's work that I'll never stop doing. Well, Len, that was a mic drop, mic drop moment. So thank you. Truly, it was such an honor and a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in. We hope you took away several golden nuggets just like the two of us did. And we will see you on the next episode of What's the Lesson? Thanks so much for tuning in to What's the Lesson? If you're feeling the same I-can-do-anything attitude that we are, Here's how you can keep the momentum going. Spread the good vibes. Share this episode with your friends, family, or give us a shout out on your social media. Fancy a trip to iTunes town? We're all ears for your ratings and reviews. Seriously, we read each one of them. Your thoughts are like gold to us. Lastly, let's be friends. Hang out with us on social media for more awesome content and behind the scenes action. And until we meet again, remember our golden rule. Turning those WTF moments into WTL moments is a superpower. Practice is always progress. And you've got this.